welcome to another episode of Carry On Up The Village. I'm Christopher, and this is the villi- This is the missus. Hi, I'm Fiona. Thank you for downloading our podcast. I hope you enjoy it. So, back to 1967. Hurrah! Back to the proper prisoner. Hurrah! Patrick McGowan and all. Mm-hmm. And the general. Before we move on to the general. Yes. I have to admit, actually, Patrick McGowan is quite hot. Oh! And I think I, I've been a bit disloyal to him <laughs> in my um, raving of the modern person. Oh, Jim Caviezel. Mm. Caviezel. We need never mention his name again. <laughs> we're back. In proper prisoner. And the general. The general. Again, a previously never mentioned conceptual person. Ah, well, actually, there was a mention of the general in an earlier episode. Just a fleeting mention of it. Geek! Um... <laughs> I wondered if you'd remembered that, but you no. clearly I think you actually remarked upon it. They talk about the general. Who's this general that they're talking about? Yeah. Anyway, the general. Um, the general was part of Speed Learn, which was a, a three three year university course in three minutes, being um, broadcast over television uh, under the auspices of the professor, who seemed to be a recognised. Uh, authority on history and see it was really just a, a way of implanting knowledge immediately in people's brains that they would then regurgitate uh, upon um upon being requested to uh, number six didn't like the idea of this it was pretty clear from early on and assisted by number 12 who was part of the village administration he sabotaged it he sabotaged the broadcast and thereafter managed to sabotage the general, which turned out to be a great big supercomputer. Uh, and as of the way of a late 60s thing, it had to have lots of whirring dials and um, tape loops going round and round. And, and it was the, the size, of a, size of a house. Yes. So, your your thoughts and views, Fiona? Well, the general, the general concept that the general was a computer was one we had about number one back in the day. Ah, yes, I remember you saying that. Is it a computer? So um, I thought, I felt slightly vindicated about that. Um, What, might be completely wrong? Well, uh, that that the concept was actually part of the programme. Oh, I see, okay. Um, (laughs) I I mean, I loved it. I loved being back in the 60s again, the proper Mm -hmm. one, and all of that. Um, This is so a story in its own right. Mm-hmm. Introducing a whole lot of new stuff that we've never seen before, but not really referring to the main overarching arc. Yeah, he, much. yeah. Number six didn't really try to escape at any no. point. However, I did think it was interesting and wondered whether they were introducing to him someone else trying to escape mm-hmm. as um, something for him to reflect on, or, or just a new approach mm-hmm. to him. I don't think that that was part of it. But it it was what. almost as if all this was speed learning, etc., would all have happened whether number six was in the village or not. Exactly. And also, interestingly, mm-hmm. number two said, um, this is one of our most important human experiments we've ever had to conduct, mm. suggesting that the village is actually just a petri dish for human experiments. And mm-hmm. maybe number six isn't the central reason why it's there. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, is something that you've had in your theory a lot, is that the whole village is set up for number six. So are you th- rethinking that one, then? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think they've said number six <laughs> is particularly special and cannot be harmed. 
and things like mm-hmm. that. So I do think maybe he gets treated a bit differently to some of the other mice in mm-hmm. the in the experiments. But um but yeah, I'm thinking it's not really all about him. Okay. Or he is one of the ex- many experiments. Uh, that ongoing at any yeah. one time. I I did think that the compulsory lectures early on, I thought that was just an uh, ability to mass mind wash or mm-hmm. something somehow. And I'm sure that's really what they were testing the um, equipment to do, because they're saying now we've got history, but in the future, yeah, who, who knows? knows? Yeah. The now, implication being that they would be implanting whatever they wanted you to think, be yes. that political or orders or whatever, without the, you knowing the other it. thing about being this speed learning is there isn't any opportunity to challenge or push back on mm-hmm. on what you're being taught. Um, I mean, obviously, with history, um, you're not really pushing... If the facts are true, then... Don't look at me like that. <laughs> if the facts are true, then it's it's not a theory. I mean, they weren't. They were literally learning uh, dates and times yes. and things. They weren't writing essays on the influence of so and so on the next twenty years or that kind of. I I, of I know. I mean, they kind of were because there was a bit about the um, uh, Prussian uh, Prussian Austrian War with. Uh, Denmark that got into a bit of theory and speculation about, well, about again so this type of teaching doesn't allow them to challenge mm-hmm. or or struggle with understanding in a way that you actually learn so um I feel so they I, could they could implant anything they want into the minds because it is it's it's not a matter of the mind having to accept the information and understand it, it's just implanted yeah I feared you were about to suggest that anyone who say had studied history at a university level, had just learned a whole lot of dates. But I was underestimating you, uh, clearly. If I thought that, I wouldn't have married you. <laughs> Whereas all you had to learn was some calculations and how to do them, and they'd be the same always. And I could get 100%. Yeah, the, gen- the general could work for civil engineering, couldn't it? No. There's no creativity there. There's no needing to understand any kind of concepts and, and apply them. <laughs> And challenge them, yeah, and and uh, and, and and figure out how to apply them differently yeah. to each unique problem. No, okay. Like um, now, the I noticed that the first scene we saw him outside the cafe or whatever it was, uh-huh. and behind him there was a poster that says, "It can be done. Trust me." Mm-hmm. And I just thought. I wonder what that's about, but I wrote it down because I thought I bet that's pinnacle to the show. Ah, they do, yes. They're a bit clumsy with some of these background oh, yeah. hints and things like that. They've only got 50 minutes to, put, to get yeah. a whole lot of context set up. Yeah, I thought it was interesting, though, actually, that, and number two said it, the professor was it, because, you know, why do you need the professor? Well, he's, he invented the general. We didn't know that mm-hmm. at that time, but equally, now that they knew how the, how the general essentially worked, um, they didn't really need him. From that point of view, but the number two says, no, we do need him because the students still have to have faith in mm. a recognised expert uh, to... Uh, I think throughout this whole episode, there was a flux between where you meant to believe that the professor was enthusiastic and behind this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we found out he invented the general, he was proud of it and wanted it to work. Or was he trapped? Mm-hmm. Um as as was once said, treating each le- lecturer as though his life depended on it. 
mm-hmm. and the the wife was doing everything she could to keep him in with the system for the sake of his life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I'm still not conclusive on whether he was being forced against his will to do this or whether it was his idea driving it forward. Oh, I I, th- I think this is, I, th- I got that the I took from it that the suggestion was that he was he at least had wobbles and was probably against it, and he would have happily sacrificed himself uh, in order to you know safeguard that it wasn't used for for ill well, I think but that, the wife persuaded him to to do it yes but i think that's the thing he invented the general mm-hmm. was very proud of it but didn't want it to be used in the way that they were going to plan to use it mm-hmm. um now i did notice that when they cut to the professor for the first ever time mm-hmm. that he was sitting in the general's office Yes. You could read it on the, on yeah, the door. On the door. Uh-huh. Um, and so I was just like, why is he sitting in the general's office? Uh-huh. And made me think they were thick as thieves or, or something like uh-huh. that. But it then explained with, with the computer that... That the general was this little thick. scanner thing. Yeah. Um, so what was also interesting was number two said something like, um, what, what does he want? What some of us want to escape. Or something like that, mm. implying that he wanted to escape, or mm-hmm. certainly he considered himself us enough in the people being held against the will. Oh, as a prisoner rather than a warder. Yeah. Mm. What did you think of number two, Colin Gordon? I liked him, but he did look awfully like a university lecturer I had. Oh, did he? Yes, All so right, that okay. kind of threw me a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I, I liked he was he was sort of suave and overconfident, really right up to the very last scene when mm-hmm. uh, number six managed to outfox the general with his question, which was of course, what? why? That was a bit up itself, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Although you 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 suggested that the question he was going to ask was who is number one. Yeah. Um, but I did think that when he was asking the the why question, that mm-hmm. holds bit of the scene was a bit of a Patrick moment. He was quite oh, smug himself. Oh, was he? And uh, and I quite liked the way he he did all of that. My Patrick moment in this, oddly, since I've often, I think I've said before, I've certainly thought it, I don't know if I've said it before, I think he has very expressive eyes. But oddly, my Patrick moment in this was when he was trying to get into the lecturer um, approval meeting. Oh, with the glasses on. And of on. course, he had the top hat and the big coat and the dark glasses on. But you, but yet you were still getting so much. You know, he was quite, um, he was quite insouciant. I thought in the way he was standing there. What does that mean? Just getting sort of like I'm not really bothered about any of this. Nonchalant. Nonchalant. Yeah. yeah. Uh, about that. Um, and, and equally, and and even then, all the way through that, when he was sort of in the corridors and trying to find his way around, I thought that that was my Patrick moment. Mm. In the... So I have an issue. Mm-hmm. That number 12 and number 6 had 15 seconds to discuss what oh, was going to yes. happen. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. didn't make proper plans. He didn't answer the question when. But what time was number 6 told that he had to wear a top hat and a coat and glasses? Ah, well, he knew that because everybody that goes into the administration building... Well, we've never seen them before. Oh, we have. No, we have. We have. Because, in fact, the shot that you see, the establishing shot that you see of two men going into the administration building, we've seen three or four times now. Okay. I don't think we've ever seen the sort of dark glasses before. Mm. Um, but he might have, yeah, he's a resourceful guy. 
I wonder who's number 56. You know how I don't like it when they don't make proper plans. Yeah, I know. I, I wondered who was number 56, because that was the number that, of badge that he was wearing. I see. And it's like, who's stolen that from? Uh, I thought it was interesting that he, when, because you weren't sure whether the number 12 was setting him up or actually wanting yeah. to escape. Mm-hmm. And he said um, that he would do it. And then he said, yeah. Uh, and then when the the administration guy left, um, or number 12 left, after the electrics were fixed. Oh, yes. He said, yes, sir. Mm-hmm. And you're not sure whether he was actually, was uh, confiding him in him. Um, and playing along, mm-hmm. or whether he just saw him as maybe just a different master. Yeah, I think the latter. Yeah, I think it was a signal. It was, it was a very good way of poignantly Doing saying that, that mm-hmm. that's what's happening. I mean, uh, one of the things that I thought was, why didn't Number Twelve just do all this himself? Because it was pretty obvious that you know, as soon as it happened and the broadcast didn't go as planned. There was going to be, you know, questions asked, and it was pretty obvious he was going to be fingered. And how did he know that number twelve wasn't, number six wasn't going to dub him in? And then to then watch number six being put under pressure and all that, it just, Mm -hmm. I don't, I didn't. Well, I mean, I think the the idea was it was pretty clear. I thought that when number two put in the the question to the general, who is the traitor? Oh yeah, no, he's going to come out and say number twelve, isn't it? Yeah, but in the other room, it didn't seem obvious that it was number twelve. Oh, I see, when they were in the sort of boardroom yeah, with yeah, their own table. Uh-huh. Bit, yeah. I, I think, and again, now I have the benefit of hindsight here, having seen this episode before, but the first exchange between number six and number 12, number six asked number 12, uh, they were speaking about the general, and number six asked number 12, who are you? And he said, a cog in the machine. Mm. And then number six said, and the general? To which the other answer would be, is the machine. Yeah. I thought that was quite clever, in retrospect, to to, yeah. to put that in. It must be odd for you to watch this again knowing what the general is. Well, I think it, it, it's a bit, it's a sort of a, it's the Brechtian alienation effect, of course. The, 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 the conclusion of the journey is not important. It's how you're getting there that's important. Yeah, but you must have been able to reflect on the journey yes. better. Yes, once yes because I mean, presumably you are sitting watching going, who's the general? Who's the general? Who's the general? Who's the general? What's not, the general? Not so not much, really? but I wasn't really thinking it was the computer either. Right, okay. Okay. Um, shall we speak about the wee hand taking the passes, taking the passes. That pass is next. brilliant. I've never <laughs> seen that kind of thing before. I don't know. If, I think it might be a real kind of a thing. It, basically, this was a, the way they did it. Was the this was how you got into the meeting? Was you put your little round pass like a coin on this little slot, and then very slowly a, the, a little door opened up, and a little hand came out slowly again, and then snatched it in really fast. But I did think the little hand was very. Um, prisoner likes in style. Mm-hmm. It's like the pen and farthing. It's like mm-hmm. there's lots of other bits that it seems to fit well with the style of it. Oh yeah, I mean, watching this episode, there was lots of that. There was the broadcast and the zooming in and the the, the lights and that. Um, there was there was a shot where they were taking number six to the general, and it's like if you just shown that shot to somebody, they'd be going, "What on earth is this? Two men in top hats and dark glasses." It's like, with another man with his arm in a sling and two sort of military policemen like clockwork, coming with uh, Clockwork Orange, clockwork or Orange yeah. but before Clockwork Orange. Um, 
and then the projector itself, which rather oh, you just, loved. Oh, rather than just being a projector, but you know, it was this sort of strange. Um, I can't remember what they call those things, the models of a universe yeah. that revolve, and it's got other revolving bits that go the other way. It was like this is needlessly uh, complex, isn't and it? And then, and then the actual information was on a tiny stick that you had to thread in. <laughs> yeah, you couldn't just type it in and then give it the paper. You had to put it that through a machine that gave you something else that you then put into the gel, and then twiddled about with his knobs, the general. Knobs. And then something came out you put in the projector. Yes. Yeah, a very a very long, thin metal spike. I, I love what people in the 60s thought the future would be like. Yeah. So it, it's kind of thing you don't really see so much anymore. We don't really do... I don't know, maybe we do. You know, what, what's the future? What do we think the future's going to look like? We want Tomorrow's World. I used to love that programme. Tomorrow's World? Aye. I'd, I'd forgotten it until then. No, until just this very Aye. second. We're all going to live like this. I think because we've now all been burned so much by stuff like this and where are my hoverboards, Back to the Future, mm-hmm. I think we're all a bit more sort of, well, in 50, we can still recognise the rooms of 50 years ago as being the rooms that we live in now. I know, but all, equally, the other side of the coin there is 50 years ago, we wouldn't really have believed the fo- mobile phone phenomena. Yeah. So why is it? What's the point in trying to project what it's going to be mm-hmm. like in the future? Because we we can't see where the next mobile phone thing is going to come. Although from. the mobile phones, of course, the person did predict that because they've all got these cordless phones that don't seem to be connected in any way to. They haven't got aerials or anything, so you know there are some things that they got right. Mm. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that I thought number six had a, had a few scenes here where he had a very sort of James Bond wit. Like when he smashed up the faith. Oh, I've the, spoilt your. Yeah, you, your husband's gone to pieces. He says oh, yes. when he smashed up the sort of porcelain yeah, so general. Like. Um, yeah. Who was your favourite other villager? I think I'll have to say number twelve. No, I did like number twelve, but I, I'm going for number one hundred and twenty-five, <laughs> who was um, the general's doctor. Oh uh, yes. Although I was also keen on the electrician man who just came in and went, electrics. As if it's like, I have to do this a million times every day. <laughs> the, the other thing I thought was interesting was the, the central concept here about the speed learn and the brainwashing or the implanting of thoughts. It really wasn't spelt out what the implications of that would be. There was no real discussion about whether this was a good or bad thing. Yeah, that was le- left up to the audience to do in their own mind. Mm-hmm. And I like that. I like that about old telly, that they didn't mansplain things to you terribly much. So, is it a good thing or is it a bad thing? It's a bad thing. Why is it a bad thing? Like I was saying earlier, you don't get the opportunity to um, push back and comprehend. You just accept all the information without challenge. Shall I tell you what Patrick McGowan said on this subject? Exactly what I've just said. More or less. but, But in his words... The wild beauty of a child's mind is one of the most unspoiled things you can talk about. It's a responsibility to preserve this in your children and make sure the seeds flower. I think the first discipline a child should be taught is to find his own answers instead of watching all the people being interviewed giving answers. He said in an interview. Good lad, Patrick. Uh, So, will we do a choice of viewing? Oh yes, what what else could I have been watching? Well, uh, this was, uh, no, no. No, that was uh, Carry On Laughing. That was it. <laughs> that had the uh, the Kojak and Lulu. This was first broadcast on the 3rd of November 1967. 
between half past seven and twenty-five past eight on ITV. On BBC One, you see, could watch. See, you wouldn't do, particularly on ITV, a fifty-five-minute program. Oh. Why not just put a couple of extra outbreaks in and make it an hour? Well, do you know? <laughs> it's funny you because I haven't actually listened to something this week. A uh, podcast? No, 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 very recently. Uh, with uh, about Mel Brooks, the American director yeah. and writer, and his favourite thing about Britain when he first came to Britain was you have programmes that start at five past, ten past, twenty past, twenty five past, twenty five two. You don't care. <laughs> the programmes just last how long they last. You don't bolt them up, you don't take them down. It's just, yeah, this program's 55 minutes long, this program's an hour, this program's 40 minutes. <laughs> You're right, though. Nowadays, everything has to start at 7 o'clock or half past 7 or 8 o'clock. Very little. Okay. Where's all the po- Remember, points of view used to be 10 to, because Dallas was 50 minutes. Then you got points of view. Other little programs fit into that, that kind of slot. I know. There's a charm about a little program, isn't there's there? A little, a little program, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. So, anyway... On BBC One, it was uh, Daktari, uh, Clarence the Cross-Eyed Lion, followed by The World of Wooster, Ian Carmichael and oh, Dennis I... Price as Jeeves and, as yeah, no, Jeeves I, and Wooster. Yeah, no, I quite like that. Uh, and this week, also featuring Anton Rogers, who, of course, last week, had you been watching in order, was number two in The Prisoner. Yeah. See? Whereas on BBC Two, the far more interesting channel, looking back, uh, Outlook, Plus a Change, Six programmes about France. Uh, yesterday and tomorrow, today and every day. And this is number four, Brittany, The Turn of the Tide, with the Devanche family Lisconil, written by Nina Epton, introduced by Max Bellancourt, and directly produced by Sheila Innes. Uh, and then Wheelbase. Gordon Wilkins and Maxwell Boyd cover the Turin Motor Show. You too can have a beautiful body. For a price, Italian coachwork designers like Bertone, Ghia and Piniferina Give the mass-produced family saloon shapely style or sex appeal. What kind of men are these stylists who can transform the most ordinary motor car into a thing of beauty? Why are they all found in Italy? Wheelbase reports from the International Motor Show, which opened in Turin yesterday. I think you'd be watching The Prisoner, wouldn't you? Maybe Jason Wooster. Oh, maybe The World of Wooster. You'd probably flick over and still pick up what was going on there. Because it only started at 20 past 8. Oh, yeah, no, so probably you're probably that, all yeah. right there. In the days before video recorders, of course. Uh, so, do we have anything else to say about uh, returning to the 60s or the general? Well, I've got something else. I love the fact, at the beginning, that the theme tune, which is brilliant, and then it kind of stops when he wakes up in the village. Yeah. And then when he opens the blinds, it starts again. I like that. <laughs> Any more comments from you, Fiona? I only want to ask, how could our dear listeners get in touch with us? Well, funny you should ask that, because they could contact us by email. Prisonerpodcast at gmail.com is our email address, or they could contact us on Twitter with our handle at prisonerpod. So that's how they could get in contact with us. So. Uh, if you wish to do so, dear listeners, please do so. But otherwise, all that remains is to say, join us again the next time when we carry on up the village. Bye! Bye!
23 minutes. That's a good length. No round numbers there. <laughs>